Welcome to Day 2 Cloud. On this episode, we're going to be talking about VMware on AWS, a service that let's say I've been more than a little skeptical about, but our guest, Adam Fisher, I think he actually started to change my mind. And if you want to know how he did that, you're going to have to stay tuned. Ethan, did he manage to change your mind about anything? Yeah, he did actually. Listen for me making a smart comment about money and gold bullion or something like that. And then listen to the discussion <laughs> we have with Adam after that point. He really did change my mind on the cost model for VMC, Ned. Wow. Yeah. I think I heard an audible click go off in your brain. So that was interesting. You can listen for that <laughs> as well. So enjoy this conversation with Adam Fisher, all about the reality of VMware on AWS. Adam Fisher, welcome to Date 2 Cloud. Why don't you tell the nice people out there who you are and what you do? Sure. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, my name is Adam Fisher. I am a cloud and DevOps engineer with Round Tower Technologies, which basically means that uh, I get to work with Round Tower customers and help deploy and architect cloud solutions, mainly in um, AWS, Azure, and I specifically focus a lot as well on VMware Cloud on AWS. So I come from uh, more of an infrastructure background. We have a, a pretty varied team with lots of different backgrounds on the cloud side of things. But my infrastructure and history with VMware lends itself pretty well to working on our big VMware Cloud on AWS projects. Not all listeners are going to be familiar with VMware on AWS. So before we get into all the specifics and the nerd knobs that exist inside there, can you give us the, you know, the 10,000 foot view of what is this VMware on AWS thing? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So VMware Cloud on AWS is a jointly engineered solution between VMware and AWS. Essentially, it is a VMware software defined data center that runs within a AWS um, data center. So inside AWS's cloud infrastructure, you know, it, it really is something that is managed and maintained by VMware. So it's the same VMware vSphere stack that a lot of people may be used to working with in their on-prem corporate environments, but it lives inside of an AWS region availability zone somewhere. Okay, and it's is it running on like EC2 or is it its own entirely separate thing? It is actually dedicated bare metal hardware. So okay. there are um, hosts that are dedicated. So it's not, um, you know, a multi-tenant shared resource like your typical EC2 instances would be. And there are a couple different bare metal node types that you have to choose from. So from the onset of the, the service, there was a single host that you had available within the service. There is now an additional host type. And when we're talking about the VMware software defined stack, uh, you know, from a storage perspective, we have vSAN running under the covers. But the second host type uses AWS EBS volumes to present mm. storage to vSAN. And, and really what that gives you is the ability to potentially scale your storage independent from scaling hosts like you would with the original host type that you have available. 
Right, right. So instead of being stuck with whatever physical drives are in that bare metal server, now you're leveraging a, a storage service that you can provision these virtual disks and scale that independently of how many physical hosts you have in the cluster. That's kind of nice. I like that feature. <laughs> yeah, yeah, correct. And, um, you know, one, one of the interesting things is um, from... Uh, of course, with public cloud, everything has a cost associated to it. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, it, it kind of changes the the cost calculations a little bit when you can start introducing EBS volumes that maybe have an additional cost that aren't baked into the storage that's provided by the other host type. Um, mm. and, and there's a lot of documentation out there as far as what those host specifications are and, and you know, how much resources from... Uh, memory and, and storage uh, you get for, for each host. So that's pretty well documented on the VMware side. Like what you said as you were talking about that, you go, it changes the cost calculation a little bit, which is pretty much what cloud operations is all about, isn't it? <laughs> changes exactly. Changing the cost a little bit, right. Uh, okay, VMC, VMware uh, Cloud, pretty new. I'm not super new, right? It's been around for a while, but it's still fairly new. So, how did you guys get involved with that? Yeah, so personally, myself, um, you know, I've I've worked in the the VAR space, the the consultant space for a while now, and um, prior to this role at Round Tower, I was in a bit of a pre-sales role in, in more of a traditional data center infrastructure team. And we had, uh, I would say that, you know, when this service came out, VMware definitely was trying to push the service from its infancy very hard on a lot of the, the partners that were out there. So there was a lot of uh, marketing, a lot of, you know, kind of basic training at that, that, you know, entry level to, to get some of the base understanding. But at the initial onset, at least maybe with the, the customer base that I was dealing with, there wasn't a lot of buy off on the, the product itself. So I, mm. I wasn't really getting my hands dirty. Um, when I uh, was introduced to Round Tower and, and kind of looked at what they were doing, they were really one of the companies that was out of the gate doing a lot of, of heavy lifting with this service in conjunction with VMware. So that really gave me an interest in that role, but also, you know, just the, the, the ability to jumpstart a, a more cloud focused role as well, to have the ability to keep my uh, VMware skills that, that I've built up and, and utilize that as kind of a springboard to focus more on the cloud native side of things was was really what interested me in in the role that I'm in today. So you knew VMware, you've been working with VMware. It sounds like you guys are a VMware partner at some level. Correct. So you had you really had the VMware relationship and familiarity down. What about AWS? Were you knowledgeable on that side too? Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, I had some AWS experience. I mean, not as extensive as VMware to that point, um, but enough to understand at least at the the base level how everything tied in with the VMware cloud service. So it certainly had, uh, it was more than just beginner level AWS, I would say, where I knew that that was a focus of mine that I wanted to really be delving a lot deeper in, but not, oh, what's this AWS thing? I know that 
uh, I, I'm going to have to start learning because of VMware Cloud. Right, and and I think we'll we'll delve into the details of the AWS side of things in a little bit because I know there's some integration points there that makes it potentially challenging <laughs> from a networking perspective. Um, I'm curious because you said the first org that you were working with didn't get a lot of buy-in for VMC, and then you moved to an org that was getting a lot of buy-in. What were like the primary objections of the customers you were dealing with the first time? And then how were those objections sort of solved or, or did they not exist in the new set of customers that you were targeting? Yeah, I think it really kind of boiled down to the customer base to a certain extent. So like Ethan mentioned, there's there's a cost involved with these cloud services. <laughs> and um, so I, I don't know that there was any one specific thing more so um, it was really kind of a mix of that that customer base, but also finding the right customer with the right use case. Because I think mm. that for the VMware Cloud service, there are a number of use cases in which it definitely makes some sense to look into, but it maybe isn't an all-in-one let's immediately think of VMware Cloud on AWS as the first thing when we're, when regardless of, you know, what problem we're trying to solve. So um, it, it was really just that good mix of the right customers at the right time and place. Right. I have been known as to be a little bit of a skeptic when it comes to VMC. I, when they first came out with the service, I think I wrote a blog post that was VMC uh, or VMware on AWS, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> and my, my whole thought process was, if you're going to the cloud, you should do things in a cloudy way. And if you're just moving your v VMware cluster to the cloud, that doesn't make any sense to me. I'm sort of mellowed on my skepticism a little bit because people seem to be using it. So I'm curious, you mentioned some specific use cases. Can you give a couple examples of what those specific use cases are that are a good fit for this technology? Yeah, certainly. So there's um, a handful of use cases that are pretty well documented um, from, from both AWS and VMware as, as why this might be a solution that you would want to look at. Certainly what I've seen from the, the times that I've been able to work with customers in deploying these solutions, the big ones I would say are certainly data center evacuation. So hmm. that really kind of comes into play with the, with the timing aspect that I mentioned earlier. So if you have customers that need to get out of a colo quickly, VMC is, is a great option for that. Um, and also from a timing perspective, if, if you have customers that are coming up on hardware refreshes needing to go through the purpose of evaluating how to refresh their entire infrastructure and take all that cost on versus maybe moving into a cloud solution that allows them to keep the same workloads that they have running. Um, and, and, and certainly disaster for customers that maybe don't have a large disaster recovery presence today or don't even have a second site, it may make sense to look at just spinning up a, a DR site versus having to build a brand new physical site from the ground up. What are the, what's the cost model end up looking like here? I mean, I'm hearing these use cases. I'm hearing people that are trying to use it as like a primary, um, like I don't want a data center anymore, but I don't want to lose my VMware, so I'm going to house it all up in the cloud now. What's the cost model look like? And I, I'm furrowing my brow because most of the reports I've heard have involved 
uh, armored trucks, gold bullion, uh, wheelbarrows, <laughs> and, and such. I'd love to get your impression, Adam. Yeah, so from a cost perspective, uh, you know, it's it's a little bit different than just your typical AWS native infrastructure. Y- you still do have that that aspect of you're paying for the resources that you consume. With VMware Cloud on AWS, the resource that you're consuming for the most part is that that host level resource. Mm. So there is a certain price tag associated with a single host in VMware Cloud on AWS. And right out of the gate, you to be able to spin up the service, you really are talking three hosts minimum to have a highly available VMware cluster. Mm-hmm. So um, now certainly there are uh, egress charges, there's some, some network bandwidth stuff that's involved there and um, things like public IPs that you can spin up on demand within the service. So kind of your typical um, AWS charges that, that you might be used to that are more kind of a drop in the bucket compared to at the end of the day, if you're calculating how many hosts that you have, um, and, and taking that cost across the entirety of your, your SDBC, then that's going to be the majority of your cost right there. Is it split between VMware and AWS? Do I have two bills or is it like all through VMware? It's all through VMware. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, one of the things about cloud is that you're able to dynamically scale up and scale down. But when I think about like a, like a software, software defined data center, and the hosts in it, I don't think about, you know, slapping hosts in and pulling them out real quick. It, can you do that? Or are you pretty much stuck with three hosts and then maybe you add another, but you don't like scale up and down dynamically, do you? You can. Um, so with within VMC, there is the notion of elastic DRS. So you have the ability to define your cluster within a range of hosts. And um, based on performance, you can automatically scale up if need be from, you know, like like a, a CPU or RAM perspective. Now, mm. one of the things about the um, Elastic DRS service is that by default, it's always enabled for uh, storing, uh, scaling if need be based on storage consumption. And that is a if vSAN hits a uh, 75% use threshold, it will automatically scale up to a new host because it requires that overhead to be able to, you know, really run the the, the service efficiently from a vSAN perspective. So that is a default that's baked into the SDDC. But to answer your question, yes, uh, at the end of the day, you can very easily scale up and scale down hosts by simply going in and saying, Add host, and you sit there for about ten minutes. Watch a little progress bar go through, and and uh, it is as easy on that cloud scale, but just from a VMware perspective. But again, going back to what you were saying earlier, though, that's a bare metal host, right? Correct. Yep. Okay, so I don't know where in the data center that's going to be. It's not necessarily in my rack, so it could be across the data center somewhere, and uh, just I'm just relying on AWS that it's going to be all quickly uh, networked together, or the networking is going to be very performant, I mean to say, and so on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think that's part of what you're getting from AWS, right? We, we kind of inherently know that uh, AWS is going to provide that service for us without 
necessarily knowing exactly what's going on under the covers. Mm. And I think that's where some of that that joint engineering between VMware and AWS comes into play with them from a VMware that is knowing really what is required to run this service with the SLAs that they have tied to it and AWS being able to provide that that hardware under the covers without you maybe necessarily knowing or caring. <laughs> as long as you have a cluster that's there and performs, it shouldn't really matter too much. Trust us. It's the cloud. It'll be fine. We built a huge network. Don't worry about it. <laughs> exactly. That, that does bring up an interesting point in the way that they architect it. And I don't know how much you know about this, but you know, in AWS, the closer two VMs are, whether on the, they're on the same host or in the same rack, the better the bandwidth, the better network throughput. They actually have a whole setting for that. And I got to imagine vSAN wants pretty good network throughput for that storage replication, but you don't want all of your hosts in the same rack or the same row even because that's a fault domain. And you may not even want them in the same availability zone. So do you have any control over availability zones? Do you know how they're sort of laying out the hosts? So all of the hosts are in a single availability zone. And and oh. no, you do not have control over that. Now, I will say there is the notion of being able to do stretched clusters across availability zones. So that mm. is an option, but that is something that you have to define when you are initiating your SDDC. And if you think about the 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 cost of the service and the fact that out of the gate, you're at a minimum three node cluster. Once you start going to stretch clustering, you're talking six nodes out of the gate because you need three in availability zone one and three in availability zone two. So it is possible and it is a, you know, it, it, it's obviously a, a vetted solution because it does work, but it's, it's essentially being able to stretch that, that vSAN um, fault domain, like you said, across two availability zones, but it's not something that you can necessarily do on the fly. Or if you just have a single SDDC without the stretch clustering built into it, that you can ha have that granular aspect as far as where your hosts live, you just deploy it into availability zone at the end of the day. Right. That's, that's pretty typical cloud, right? Yes, you can have additional redundancy. It only costs you twice as much. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> it makes sense. They're, you're, they're storing twice the data. You're using twice the compute. That's just the way it's going to work. Um, so let's, let's talk about some actual deployments that you've been involved with. I know you were involved in some earlier deployments as the service matured. So how has the solution changed from those early deployments to the way it works now? Well, one of the, the big changes recently, they did make a change from NSXV being the underlying networking to NSXT. So mm. that, um, I would say, is one of the bigger changes. And as they do roll out new versions of VMC, um, th there's a lot that uh, really from a the standpoint of what you can do from a networking perspective and, and what flexibility you have from configuring the firewall and, and some of the, the networking settings that are available and exposed to you are really the, the biggest changes that, um, that I've seen that, that come into play. 
just for for listeners who are not familiar with all the VMware lingo, can you sure. sort of describe what NSXT is versus NSXV? Because I don't even know if I'm completely familiar with the differences. <laughs> Yeah, and that that's a great point. So, uh, you know, and there, there's certainly when you're talking the the VMware software defined data center stack, it at a base level is is vSAN for storage, NSX, which is the software defined networking component um, mm-hmm. that that VMware has, as well as vCenter, which is the, their native management and cluster product. So. From an NSX perspective, NSXV was the initial offering. V is in vSphere. It was very focused on that and that that hypervisor. Yeah, correct. And it was it was really tied to it's meant to have a one to one relationship with a vCenter server. Um, mm. NSXT is a newer version of of NSX that is a little bit decoupled from the vCenter, so it allows it to be. Um, more better suited for cloud because you can use your NSX components and not you can certainly attach it to a vCenter, but you can also do things like attach it to AWS and Azure and, and other on-prem components. Yeah, well. I, I don't know that I describe it as as new so much as it was like a parallel product. They kind of had similar tracks. NSXV was the easy one to bring to market right out of the gate when VMware bought Nasira way back in the day. Um, T, the T variant was, I'm trying to remember here from presentations. I haven't looked at in a few years, but it was multi-hypervisor, uh, supported multiple environments. And rather than support two products over time, NSXV is kind of faded and NSXT is the one that's, that, that's where they're putting all the feature development and all the energy into these days. And that's kind of become this, this, as I understand it, the standard across for software defined networking part of the software defined data center. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it definitely is more of a, a phased approach where, where certainly NSXV is, is being phased out. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, one of the great things about that being part of the stack that's in the service and managed by VMware is I'm not a network engineer. I could not install NSXV or T on my own <laughs> and, and deploy it and really do much of anything with it. The VMware Cloud service uh, another big component is that management stack, the NSX, the vSAN, the vCenter, all of that, um, a lot of the management is locked down and managed and, and maintained by VMware. So mm. when you are using the service, you're able to go in and you can see some of these components, but things like NSX managers and the vCenter VM and, and, and all that are really read-only um, and, and they're there to kind of show you, hey, this, this stuff is here. It's taking up some resources in your cluster, but you don't have the ability like you would on-prem to be able to um, manage the, those components day in, day out. That's something that you would really rely on VMware to do. So VMware does kind of mask some of that for you and and one of the pros and cons of the services that from an NSX networking perspective, they do give you a, a bit of an easier networking GUI to be able to manage the, the network from than say, here's access to the NSX team manager. The con of that is that, you know, you don't have the complete and full flexibility that may be deploying NSXT 
in your own environment would give you. Mm. Although I, in a recent announcement briefing I was on with VMware where they talked about this, uh, they got into the weeds on all the new features that they're adding to the NSXT portion of uh, VMC on AWS. In other words, yeah, you don't have all the features and functionality you'd have if you had the product available to you in its entirety, <clears> but they <throat> keep adding more things that you can do with it. Um, to map in various VPN tunnels and connect to different transit gateway objects and map through basically making all the connectivity that you might want easier to do or, or possible to do uh, since, as you put it, Adam, they have restricted a bunch of things from you. Definitely. Having worked with it over the last year or so, you can definitely tell that that's where a lot of the development is going. Um, mm. and, and you can also tell that that's where a lot of that backend magic that you talked about, that that cloud magic where VMware and AWS are using, um, you know, maybe some of that translation between the, the bare metal infrastructure and how it relates to things on the AWS side is, is kind of obfuscated from the, the end user a bit. And, and certainly they don't want you to have access to everything because it is a service and there are SLAs and they don't want you potentially getting in and, and bringing everything down and and blaming them for it. So <laughs> so we've been talking about the network connectivity in the context of the VMware world, I guess. But, but I mean, it's sitting in an Amazon data center. So can I bridge my VMC to my AWS somehow? You can, yeah. And there's there's certainly a number of ways to do that. By default, when you spin up your... SDDC initially, you are required to enter an AWS account. And so when you do connect your AWS account initially, what that does is it, it runs a CloudFormation template that gives the software-defined data center, uh, the GUI that builds your SDDC access into your environment so that you can pick a subnet within a VPC that you connect your service to. And when you hit the go button on building that SDDC, what it does is it actually builds some ENIs inside of the subnet that you define at that step. And it gives you direct access from your ESXi hosts within the service to those ENIs in native AWS. So, so that kind of out of the gate is your connectivity between the, the VMC service and the native AWS at that particular spot that you define during that creation. So the ENI, that's Elastic Network Interfaces, right? Correct. Yes, an AWS ENI. So if you go into your AWS console and, and you know, poke into that subnet, you'll see those network interfaces sitting in there. And um, that, that's definitely the optimal path for taking anything that you're running in VMC that you may want to communicate over to your native AWS infrastructure. And the, um, there is no data transfer charge for any data that goes across that connection. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So if I have another VPC, I could peer it with the VPC that has this uh, software-defined data center in it and create some sort of connection between what I have running on my VMware cluster and what I might have if running on EC2 and this other VPC. Is that 
generally correct or is there there's probably more to it than that it can't just be that's it and you're done it's generally correct but there certainly are some caveats to that um one of the biggest ones that we've seen is the notion of having a security vpc so um from a security and networking standpoint we've talked a little bit about nsxt and the fact that it is part of your your SDDC, the service that you deploy into VMC. And it has a, um, a, a couple different firewalls in there. There's a gateway firewall that basically deals with uh, north-south traffic, and there's a distributed firewall that can deal with east-west traffic within the, the, the VMs that are running in your service itself. Mm-hmm. But... Um, you know, they, it's a kind of a limited scope from a security standpoint of what they give you. And there might be customers who want to do more um, traffic inspection or IPS, IDS, and, and send that traffic through a different location so that they can use their own tools that they're used to uh, or do maybe a little bit more that's available to you out of the gate with, with just VMC itself. And so if you're using a security VPC, with some of the routing and and the ways that AWS does their um, their VPC routing and and just connectivity between those different VPCs, you are today still required to use a IPsec VPN site to site connection to hook up something like a security VPC. Mm, right. Okay. So you can't just do a peering connection. You actually have to set up a site to site VPN from one VPC to another, which means one of those can't be running the virtual private gateway. One of those actually has to be running some sort of firewall or something to initiate that VPN connection, right? Correct, correct. And and it's it's similar with transit gateway. So you can use transit gateway and have VMC be essentially a spoke in your AWS environment and have transit gateway as the hub that connects a bunch of different spokes. Really the key is that that connected subnet with the ENIs that gets deployed when you spin up your service within that subnet and that route table in the AWS native side is able to automatically update itself if um, the, the NSXT components within VMC change. So it's mm. it's not just one ENI, it's a number of ENIs and one of them is active. And uh, so, and, and really what that active um, ENI is referred to is is which host in your VMC cluster is, is kind of running the VMware networking construct at that moment in time. And if that... Mm uses VMware high availability to migrate to another host or, or, or change its ENI, then that connected subnet will automatically get updated in the AWS route table. But the, the fun part is if you have other route tables or other VPCs that don't have direct access to see that that changes, then that can break your connectivity. So Right, right. So is it static routes or can you advertise that the route has changed in some way? So within VMC, you do have the ability from a uh, VPN standpoint to have VPNs that use static routes or dynamic routes. Um, Mm. I think, you know, kind of similar to what we've seen 
with the the fact that you know they're making updates and they're making changes with the networking constructs that are running in the SDDC. They they certainly give you the option to do one or the other, but the the preferred method of setting up your VPN connectivity would be a a route based dynamic route option. Um, mm-hmm. So like with many other cloud services, there's lots of different options. And really it kind of comes down to what's your use case. And if you do have a large AWS native infrastructure, how is that designed? And what components of the AWS side of things do you need even to connect up to your VMC infrastructure? Right. There's a lot of considerations as to what you want to connect and how and what reasons you may have to do so. Now, I I think when we were prepping for this call a little while ago, uh, you had mentioned you did some work for like a major financial institution. We're not going to name any names. Uh, But without divulging anything sensitive, what can you tell us about the use case and, you know, the actual deployment? What was the process from planning to deployment to to maintenance? That was actually a rather large engagement. And that that specific use case was along the lines of data center evacuation. So... Mm -hmm. We had a customer that did actually have financial benefit from utilizing the VMC service as um, their their primary data center and to get out mm-hmm. of paying a colo and having to do a hardware refresh. So it was a a fairly involved process as um, as far as doing the uh, assessment of their on-prem workloads and, you know, doing things such as application owner, owner interviews to understand what's running in their environment, how critical it is doing, uh, running some tools that can do dependency mapping to understand what VMs are talking to other VMs so that we can really prepare for, um, how VMs are going to migrate into the new environment and, and, what order they should go in. Um, so it, it was a very long process of planning, <laughs> like any other migration or data center move might be. Um, right. And then uh, standing up the VMC service, building it up, connecting it to their on-premises environment, um, and then kind of going through uh, a phased approach of migrating workloads based on the assessment that we we provided to them earlier in the project and um, essentially cutting everything over at the end of it and, and migrating all of the network connectivity direct into VMC. It really was the intention that they were going to leave wherever that data center was and have all of that in the cloud. That And that was the new home for this stuff. It wasn't DR. It wasn't a backup. It was, this was the main thing. For sure. And of course, I mean, you, you still have the, just because you have your data running in the cloud somewhere, doesn't mean that now all of a sudden VMware or AWS is backing it up. So it also did involve DR as part of that with um, mm. another SDDC running in a different region and using mm-hmm. some of the native tools that VMware provides as part of the service to facilitate the, the replication of the VM data um, and the orchestration of, of being able to fail that over if need be in a worst case scenario. Do they look at this as, as a transition for them? 
Like we need to get the cloud and so we're, we're going to be, you know, using VMC and AWS as a, as a transition to help us get to, uh, you know, a cloud native future. Does that seem like the way a lot of companies are going with this or, or not really? Yeah, certainly. I, that is a, a big aspect, I think, also of, of what they did. Um, you know, they, they do realize they, they have a, a large AWS presence native as well. And they do realize that some of these applications may be a fit for refactoring and and putting into AWS at some point. So um, I, I think also with that realization is that uh, none of that was going to happen before their colo contracts and hardware refreshes were coming up. So yeah, right. it 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 certainly is a way to. Um, you know, get into something that's that's more as a service where you can run your workloads and not be forced or maybe pressured to uh, go through that process of of refactoring and and doing that and and maybe having a deadline tied to it. Yeah, you just you made something really click for me. Um, you said uh, colo contract coming up for renewal, hardware refresh maybe needing to be done. Well, that's real money you're going to have to spend and commitments to that that architecture for a long time, as opposed to mm, I can get up to AWS now by using VMC and and at least I've got the colo and the hardware maintenance stuff behind me. For sure, and and certainly it is the kind of thing where. At that point, it's really an organizational choice, right? I mean, you you can either do it with the intent of okay, now we're we're here, let's refactor, or you can kind of be like, well, we're here, we don't have to deal with hardware refreshes anymore, and these <laughs> VMs are running fine, and people like using the applications as they are, and and so it does give you the choice and that flexibility, and uh, you know, it it really is up to the organization to decide. Uh, is 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 the refactoring something we're going to focus on in the short term? Um, but but it gives you that ability without being forced, like you said, into you know maybe long term hardware and and colo contracts. Right. And another thing that I, I would think about is the skill set of the existing people at the organization. A lot of the times when I worked with especially larger companies. They had their cloud people on one side and they were doing cloudy cloud fun things. And then they had their data center people on the other side doing data center fun things. And the two didn't really talk all that much and they didn't share the same skill set. So moving your existing data center to VMware and AWS, that, that means that the people handling that aren't necessarily going to have to update their skill set, correct? Um, to a certain extent, there is some of that, yes. Um, but I would say in the the customers that I've worked with and the, the projects that I've I've been involved with where this has been really successful, you've seen a lot of buy-in from all of the teams because it really mm. does touch all of those parts. So um, there there is a very heavy networking component because if if you take away the the native AWS side of things, at some point while you're migrating data, you're you're in a hybrid cloud configuration with your on-premises environment. Mm -hmm. um, and then you add the AWS native side of things in, and depending upon how much you have in there and, and how large your environment is, that's, that's a whole nother wrinkle to it. So there is that component of if you're used to managing VMs to keep your 
application workloads up and running, this is a way to keep that skill set and not have to necessarily change. But there, there is so much that touches the networking and the cloud side of things that you do have to break down those barriers or a, little, a little bit and work with all those other teams and, and have buy-in across the board to make it successful. Gotcha. Okay. So it's no, no department is an island. Everybody needs to, to talk at least a, a little bit. And I think you'd mentioned several times how important networking was to the entire endeavor working properly. Was there any other major component that you think was really important uh, to having a successful and happy deployment versus an absolute, you know, dumpster fire? You know, I, I think one of the interesting components that comes with uh, the VMware Cloud on AWS service is another VMware tool. And that tool is called VMware HCX. And mm. that is, it, it's given to you as part of the service. And it, it really is meant to be something that helps you migrate workloads from one site to another. So your typical use case is going to be your on-premises data center into VMC. Um, and, and what HCX allows you to do is it gives you the ability to uh, do basically pair two sites together and through those site pairings and the appliances that you deploy on either end, it allows you to do layer two extensions of your on-premises networks into the cloud. It mm. gives you um, a disaster recovery capability where you can protect VMs from one site into another. And it also gives you the ability to do migration. So you can do something um, like AV motion, which from the, the VMware side of things is essentially taking your VM and live migrating it from, from one location to another. Or you can do bulk migrations that allow you to essentially replicate VM data. And once it's 99.9% .9 of the way there, you do a little flip cutover from from site A to site B and it reboots into mm -hmm. site B. So HCX is one of those tools that really is, is a great option within VMC that kind of helps you to, to easily facilitate some of these migrations and, and some of that hybrid connectivity as you're looking to stand up the VMC service. Yeah, I, I saw a demo of that. Ned, we talked about HCX a little bit a few shows back because it showed up on a Cloud Field Day presentation that I had attended. And it did seem like the easy button for a lot of that. Although, as cool as it is, I was a little scared just about the latency that might be involved between sites and some of the... Uh, you, you do need some element of network performance to expect. You know, it, VMware HCX can't defeat physics, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> exactly. And and we have run into that for sure because um, the the... It, it is as easy as standing up HCX and clicking the extend network button. And all of a sudden you can have a VM running in VMC that talks on the same network to the ones that are on-prem, but that gateway still exists on-prem and any routing needs to happen on-prem. So if you have, let's say a database VM running in VLAN 110 that needs to talk to an app VM running in VLAN 120, and they're both sitting in VMC, well, that app VM is going to have to travel back down on-prem to the gateway and then back up to VMC to talk to it. Ooh. 
So that's <laughs> not very efficient. <laughs> it is not efficient. Now, I will say there is the notion of uh, a, a new service that's available with VMC called, um, well, it used to be called proximity rounding. I think there's a new name for it. And, and it was available and I think was a component of the original NSXV data centers um, that, that recently became available again in the newer versions that are running. But it gives you the ability to essentially fix that latency issue where anything that's running on the cloud side has access to a gateway that lives there and can talk within VMC directly. But again, you know that that new option is a part of a different licensing level than what is provided to you for free with HCX. So, like anything, there's going to be a cost depending upon what you need, um, and that really comes down to what your use case is. How long are you going to be in a hybrid phase um, if you're doing a migration? Is it something where you plan on you aren't necessarily evacuating a colo or you are going to leave a half a rack of stuff in there and you plan to have HCX for eternity, allowing mm. you to be in that hybrid phase. You really have to you know, kind of dig deep into what the use case is and, and what things look like from a design perspective to, to figure out what components you need uh, you know, temporarily and, and how long you can get by without something like proximity routing if need be. Right. All right. Well, this has been a really fascinating conversation. You may have changed my mind a little bit on VMC. I, I like to play around with it, at least, and, and see what it looks like in, in a real-world deployment instead of just this theoretical idea I have in my head. So a lot of interesting thoughts to chew on. Now, uh, for listeners, uh, can you just give them a few key takeaways uh, from the episode? Yeah, sure. Um, certainly, uh, you know, I, I do hope that I, I help maybe dispel some of the uh, <laughs> the thoughts you had about the service. Um, but I, I think, you know, it, again, it, it may, it's certainly not a one size fit all service. There, there are good use cases, like Ethan mentioned, when you start asking questions and finding out, oh, hardware refresh or Colo uh, um, contract about to expire. Those are sort of the key words for, okay, maybe is this something that does make sense? So um, I, I think certainly there, there are valid use cases and it's not just VMware running in the cloud. Mm -hmm. it, it also does give you access to those native AWS resources and, and does, uh, you know, to, I think to really make the best use of the VMC service, starting to bring some of those AWS native resources into the fold is where really things can become very powerful because you do have the ability to spin up load balancers and firewalls and things on the fly. And, and, and so if you aren't using AWS native today, certainly this will help jumpstart that. And, and I would argue um, a combination of the two is, is really where you see the, the benefit of this service. Well, if people want to know more about you and your uh, internet presence, where can they find you? Where can they get more info? I'm on Twitter at BonzoVT. And I have a blog called Virtual Bonzo. So you can get that virtualbonzo.com and uh, try to stay somewhat active when I can. Um, but definitely reach out. And if anybody has any VMC or AWS questions, definitely would love to come back and, and talk again at some point. Hmm. 
I, I suspect you might get peppered with some questions in Twitter and in your DMs. So just prepare yourself. <laughs> well, Adam Fisher, thank you so much for being a guest today on Day 2 Cloud. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Thank you to our guest for appearing on Day 2 Cloud. And hey, virtual high fives to you for tuning in. If you have suggestions for future shows, we'd love to hear them. Hit either of us up on Twitter at ECBanks or at Ned1313, or you can fill out the form on my fancy website, nedinthecloud.com. Did you know that Packet Pushers has a weekly newsletter? It's called Human Infrastructure Magazine, and it is loaded with the best stuff that we found on the internet, plus our own feature articles and commentary. It's free, and guess what? It doesn't suck. So you can get the next issue via packetpushers.net slash newsletter. Please subscribe. It's pretty darn awesome. Until next time, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans.